This morning, we're continuing our study of the conversations with Jesus. In John chapter 11, if you'll turn there real quick, Becky asked me today, would you please get through with Lazarus? And I said, uh, I'll do my best. <clears throat> She's wondering if this is a dead guy, what am I going to do with everybody else that's alive? But, uh, <clears throat> but, but this uh, story, a lot of layers, a lot of issues here, in my uh, judgment, about this matter of Lazarus in this conversation. Uh, that is happening between Jesus and Mary and Martha and, and then now other people and leaders. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why, though, <clears throat> that when you talk to your children or your grandchildren or even your husband, that they don't hear what you're saying? <laughs> you ever noticed that? <clears throat> Just occasionally. Uh, <clears throat> happens every once in a while. Uh, <clears throat> there really is some science behind this. Uh, that uh, children don't listen or uh, 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 grandchildren don't listen sometimes and husbands uh, don't listen occasionally. You know, I've heard that. Uh, that, that there really is something uh, scientific about that and that is this, is that in, your, in the brain, and there is some question if men have one, but we think there are, you know, that we have a little one. In the brain, there is, I, I taught on this years ago and I dare not make the mistake, so I'm going to read this. The recticular just can imagine what I did with that, right? <clears throat> just <clears throat> let that kind of work through. The reticular activating system. There is a part of your brain <clears throat> that is like a grand central station. And really what it does is that it sifts information, generally the information that you've gotten over and over again, that you deem to be routine, that you deem to not have any threat to it that, that, that you deem to, to have just kind of common uh, occurrences. And, and that's why uh, often we can hear things and keep hearing them, and, and after a while, you know, they just kind of go right past us. I, I remember uh, when I was a pastor, I was uh, talking in a board meeting one time. I had been uh, doing a series of sermons on the one another life. Uh, there are 39 passages in the New Testament talk about what we should do with one another. So I've done this for a long time. I've taken long periods of time. 39 different lessons on that. And I'll never forget, I had been doing this for several weeks, and we're in a board meeting, and one of the people said, you know, Cliff, I wonder sometimes if you could preach sometimes on the passages in the Bible that, that speak about one another. At first I thought they were kidding, and they were serious as a heart attack. <laughs> I don't know if I'd said it so many times that they didn't hear it or... There was some sense in which uh, this system in their brain had heard it so many times they didn't hear it. This, it, it, it operates like Grand Central Station. Uh, you know, I, when I'm teaching in America, uh, I, I can be talking about the transcendental nature of the transcendent God who lives in a harmony of three. You know what's happening, don't you? Their eyes are like this. And then I say this, but this next thing will be on the test. <laughs> What do you think happens? <clears throat> yeah. Here, here it is. The reticular activating system in the brain has said, there's something important here. There's something new here. There's something going on here. Now, what's fascinating is, is that generally scientists say in this brain research that the way that this system starts operating is when something is new. Something even might be uh, a bit threatening something that might pose some importance to the person. That that is what causes that system to open up. 
And it, it, it's something that's, if you will, disturbing or different. For instance, like I say to you, have I mentioned to you that I've uh, mowed the yard the last two weeks? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> Bill. <clears throat> See, your, your brain hurt. Oh, here he goes again. Have I mentioned to you? Yeah, and I said, mow the yard. You went, what? See, that's the way the brain works. It, it takes, and I have, I'm not kidding. I got pictures and everything. <laughs> Becky, will, Becky will verify this. That, that's right. She, yeah, yeah. So the idea is that the brain, uh, there are times when if we're not alert, it, this system causes information to just keep going into the brain, going into the brain, and it has almost no effect. We keep hearing it, 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 over and over again. I want to suggest to you in this episode with Jesus, there really is something that is happening, if you will, that is in some sense disturbing. It's a disturbance. I will just tell you, when I was studying this and working on this the last several weeks, and in particular this week, I thought, well, this, this, is, this is causing some disturbance in my brain. And so this system in my brain started receiving, if you will, some ideas. So I want to I ask you here to look at this, this conversation with Jesus here. This is the effects of Jesus' presence is disruption. Disruption. <clears throat> this, this idea that, that Jesus, at different times, obviously, was a very disruptive person. I mean, he disrupted the culture. He turned things upside down. To the extent that he wasn't saying things, oh yeah, we've heard that, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, we've heard that, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very disruptive in some of the things that he said and he did. So I want to look here, if you will, in John chapter 11. After we spent last week, if you want to listen to it, the idea of believe, uh, believing and then seeing. In verse 30, uh, verse 41, so they removed the stone and then Jesus raised his eyes and said, I'm reading in verse 41, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now that's, just, that's weird there. Because he hasn't said anything at this point. I, I thank you that you have heard me. Huh? I knew that you always... These, these verbs are in the past tense. <clears throat> it's strange, isn't it? It's interesting. You don't usually talk like this when you're about to do something. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I say this so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth. Now, that's a little disturbance there, isn't it? A little bit, you know? <clears throat> Here's a guy that's been dead for four days. I'll say to you again, in Jewish thought and understanding, a person is dead only after three full days. Oh, I mean, after three days. So this is already, we've stated this before, this has happened four days after he died. This is, in Jewish understanding, this guy was really dead, not just resuscitated. This is a disturbing thing here, to say the least. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot and wrappings around his face with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some who had seen the same thing... <clears throat> who had experienced the same event. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are... 
This, I think this is kind of, what are we doing? <laughs> New American Standard translate, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. See, there's no, no, no denial here. There's no, that he's not, this is all a bunch of smoking. They're not denying it. They're saying, this guy is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for that one man die for the people, that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not only for the nation only, but in order that he might gather together into one, the children of God, who are scattered abroad. Now, I want to <clears throat> look at three things here real quick. You know, pastor, preacher's thinking threes, and I'll have a poem, and then we can be gone. Uh, but <laughs> that's the way it works. <clears throat> uh, I want to talk about a couple things here about this disturbing presence. Uh, Jesus has that effect. And the first thing here I see is this, is the dis- disruption of prayer. The disruption of prayer. When I read this and looked at those past tense verbs... And it said here, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, it's interesting here, and then I knew that you always hear me. But then he goes into the present tense and says, now I pray this, or I'm asking that I've said this, so that all may believe that you sent me. I'll say this, I think first of all, the disruption that prayer occurs, and you can just listen to this. The disruption that, that generally happens in prayer is that we are facing a situation we can't deal with. We're facing a situation, we, by, by its very nature, prayer is disruptive, isn't it? I mean, as long as we can handle things, and as long as we can work things out, and as long as we have the resources or the time or the ability, we're not too disrupted by prayer. I remember when I was a pastor, we were talking one time in our staff, and we said that this person was having some really serious problems. And a person said, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. And I said, oh no, has it come to that? (laughs) Really? Really? I mean, that's all we can do now. You see the disruption this causes? See, we, 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 we don't like to face this at times, but often prayer, the disruptive nature of prayer in Jesus, I think, is illustrated. Listen, this guy's dead. There's no more doctrine. There's no more, you know, helping this guy. He's dead. And Jesus comes and prays and says, God, I, I know that, that you've heard me. Heard me. <laughs> okay, now what's wrong with that? You know, I'm out of school now, and so this is really going to get weird here. Yeah. From mowing the yard, I think I, I have been a little dizzy the last few days. A little too much pollen up there. That I know that you have heard me. I, I just want to try to suggest something here that this that may be accounting for this. It, it's, first of all, prayer is always fueled the disruptive nature is because we're facing something we can't deal with. And I think it, it exposes us at times that that we have tried everything else first. That we have, and I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't, you know, buy insurance. I'm not saying don't do things. I'm simply saying that, that it, it often prayer is the last thing we get to. 
instead of the first. Jesus, these past tense verbs must mean He's prayed before. He's talked to His Father before. This, this isn't the, the, the first time that He's even talked to Him about this situation with Lazarus. I think in my own life, the, the disruptive nature of prayer is when I get into a situation or an emergency and I realize I, I, I haven't even talked to God about this. Becky's good about this. Becky, Becky sort of has this default setting of praying. I, over the years, we've had things happen and times and situations will occur. And I, it's, no, it's just kind of the way I'm wired. I, I'm a guy. I want to fix things. I want to get it done. I want to just, you know, I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to just sit around like some guys I knew that, well, we'll just trust the Lord, whatever that means. And Becky would say to me, but Cliff, have you prayed about it? And I'd say, I hate it when you tell me what I ought to be doing. <laughs> I'm the theologian in his family. <laughs> this, this has happened before. Jesus can say, I thank you that you've heard me. You've heard me. Isn't it true that, that the disruptive nature of prayer is when we're in a situation, we got to get God, we got to hear from Him, we got to speak to Him and... We hadn't done much of that in the past. We're in the emergency and we're in the trouble and we're in the problem and, and really, we haven't talked much to God. One of my favorite authors, I don't like everything he says, he's written a book back in the 40s by a guy named Harry Emerson Fosdick who wrote a book on prayer, you can still get it. And he said this, that his, his basic definition of prayer is friendship with God. I like that. I don't want to just talk, it's talking and listening, I, I got all that, but... But fundamentally, prayer is friendship with God. Now, I've got some friends, and you've got some friends, and you know, I'll call them up on the phone just to say, hey, what are you doing? And they say, well, you're getting kind of nosy. <laughs> don't you? I mean, we don't have to have some big issue we're going over, do we? We don't have to have something. We've got to, now, we've got to work this out. I have some friends I'll call on a regular basis, maybe every day or every other day, and just say, hey, what's going on? You know, this idea comes then to this notion that prayer is fueled. Prayer is fueled by relationship. My friendships with people that I call them, it's because I want to talk to them. I, I care about them. I'm concerned. What's going on with you? I mean, it may be silly. Uh, you know, guys, sometimes we think, well, you got to have something to talk about, you know. Did you, did you get your car fixed? You know, so they're friends of mine. I just call, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? See, Jesus illustrates that. What does he call the first word in that sense there is what? Father. Father. See, pr prayer is fueled by relationship. The disruptive nature of it sometimes is because we've turned it into some kind of slot machine mentality. Or if I'll pray this long, God will do this. I've struggled with this, you know, because I'm kind of an outcome-based person. In education, you have to be that way. And I can remember some time ago at our house on a Saturday night, I start worrying about Sunday morning, Saturday night. Now, last night I was so worried about the storms, I didn't worry anything about this. <laughs> Man, I never saw so much weather in all my life. I want to go to Elmer, Oklahoma, though, just once. I just want to go there. I didn't know it existed. Not much of it, and I'm not making light of that. That was terrible. My goodness, I thought. Whew. But I can remember on Saturday night, try, trying to get an outcome in my pray. You ever done this? The outcome is I want to feel close to God. Or the outcome is I want to have a new assurance that what's happening is going to happen. Or the outcome is 
I want some new truth or some new idea to take hold of my mind. Or, or I want some creative way to think about teaching. And I remember one Saturday night just saying, God, I am so sorry that I'm here to get something from you. I would just like with some of my friends that I spend time with, I just like to spend time with them. You know, go over to their house and eat or, or talk on the phone or drink coffee in the morning. There's no agenda. I've got a few friendships like that. They're, they're just, they're, delightful is a stupid word for a guy to say. That's a, they're fun. They're enjoyable. They're good. You know why? Because when I get with these guys to drink coffee or spend with them, there's no agenda. So what do you think about the thunder? I don't want to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> or how you feel? You know, oh, it's relationship. Look what Jesus says. Father. Father. The disruptive nature of prayer here for me is that Jesus seems to be talking in a way about prayer that I don't know that I know that much about. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I've told you before, I, I've studied theology and, and love reading the Bible, study the Bible and love it. But there's one thing in my life, there's an edge on my life that I just continue to ask God to help me with, is to learn how to be a friend of God. To, to learn how to take some of the stinger out of it, about I need this, I want that, I got to have this. To be a friend of God. That's what Fosdick, he's actually quoting one of the church fathers that, that, that really prayer is friendship with God. I, I've got a, a, a guy here, I won't embarrass him, but I just said to him one time, I said, listen, let me tell you something. And this guy, he's not even, he's not even a theologian, which makes it doubly difficult. He's not even that smart. I'm going to really be in trouble now before it's all over. I said to him one time, I said, Hey, you know Jesus in a way that I don't think I do. And I need you to help me. I'm being serious as a heart attack. I, I mean, I said to him, you know Jesus in ways that I don't know him. In terms of friendship. I mean, I know he's the second person of the Trinity, homoousis instead of homoousis. I know all that stuff. But the relationship, Father. Some of y'all, listen, I, you know, I know, I'm loud and mouthy and like that, but some of you know Him like that as a friend. Better than I do. I mean, I know that for a fact. I can start calling names. Jesus is disturbing here to me. He is talking about a relationship with God that is intimate of Father. Look, I know you've heard me. You always hear me. I, I, don't, I don't live there, do you? I mean, half of my prayer time, I'm struggling in fight. Are, are, okay, are you going to listen? <laughs> hey, I'm over here. You know, Are you going to listen? Have I said the right words? Made the right movements here? Jesus seems almost disturbingly close. So I've, I've got some friendships like that to say to people, you know, I, I want to know Him as my Father, as my friend. 
You know, and prayer is disturbing anyway because Jesus makes statements. If you ask anything in my name, I'll give it. That's disturbing to me. And I remember when I prayed for a Ferrari, it didn't happen. And I used Jesus, I used Jesus' name in everything. Right? And then I know, 1 John 5 says that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And then I've struggled with that. I thought, man, this, you know, I've told a couple of times, look, this would help you if you would do this. It would help your cause. More people would get lined up with you if you do this, right? Anybody besides me prayed that? I mean, I've had friends that are sick. I've had friends that are lost. And I'm saying, hey, 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 if you would do this over here, I'm telling you, I could do some PR for you. I don't know. That's disturbing to me. What do I come back to? The relationship. Father, you're good. One one author, uh, uh, George Dawson, said, whatever this life may bring us, grant that it may never take from us a full faith that you are our Father. Listen to that again. Whatever life brings us, grant that it may never take from us the full faith that you are our Father. There have been times in my life when I've prayed for stuff, I've said, it's got to be God's will. It's got to be. And I was convinced. And I had all kinds of faith. And nothing happened. (laughs) We don't talk about this. And then I know James 4 says, you know, you you ask and have not because you ask with wrong motives. And I I know that's why I get the Ferrari. Still working on that one. I know why. One of the verses that has always been a... a, a, We may not get Lazarus out today. (laughs) But I want to tell you, this is the core of a relationship with God is prayer. I... um, I have great comfort... In this particular, when I hear what Jesus says about if you ask anything in my name. And Matthew 18, 18 says, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. That's really been a misunderstood passage because in the original language, it's what we call a future perfect. And it's not translated very well in different places. It's hard to translate. Because it means this, Whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. You're not, you're not doing anything. You're declaring And whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. We're deputies. We're not the marshal. Okay? We're not the ones who get to decide, I'm going to bind this. I'm going to loose it. Wait a minute. Did heaven bind it? Did heaven loose it? We don't have that kind of authority. That's not what that passage... I can tell you. I can show you the, the textual data on that. That that translation is that whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed. We're simply deputies. We're simply people that invoke what God has already done. Okay? But I know people get hung up with that. Final thing I would say is this. I'm just trying to help us here. I take great comfort in Romans 8. It says this, For the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 
But we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes with groanings and that cannot be uttered. I can't tell you the number of times I've said, look, I don't know what to say. I have no idea. I was talking to a friend of mine one time and I said, brother, let me tell you, I keep praying and I will pray, but I tell you, there are lots of times when I just come and say, hey, I just confess. I don't know. So here's the deal. It says that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. One of my professors in seminary said this, or college said, that one of the values of prayer is that it gives God time to do some work in us that He can't do otherwise. Just placing ourselves there. And you know what? I, I've thought about a disturbance here. This disturbance. The disturbance is that prayer is always at some point when we're at the ends of our, our resources. The disturbance of prayer is it relies or it's fueled on the basis of relationship. It's not simply a gimmick, a way to get things. It is based and fueled. Jesus said, Father, I know that you have heard me. We have a relationship here. We know each other. We walk with each other. Now, I, here's what I've wondered about this just as far as application. What if you talked around your table? How could a person apply the truth of this passage this week? I have a concern. I've been teaching and talking about things and, uh, you know, I try to... There are three steps when I teach. I'll, one is to explain it. Another is to illustrate it. And the third two is apply it. You know what? Sometimes when I leave here after I teach and have my notes, by Tuesday I can't remember what the application is. Anybody with me? What a rotten teacher. <laughs> you know? And I'll tell you why. I think I'm doing too much of the directing. Take one and a half minutes or two minutes real quick. You don't have to say what you're going to do. I want you to say, how, how could a person apply this notion about prayer as a disruption, either it's pushed, pushed us to our extremities or it's because it's fueled by... Like, take about a minute. Just talk. I'll come around. No. Real quick, just how, how could you do it? How could you apply that? Okay. All right. I can talk after church. Some, there's some smart people around your ta table, aren't there? There's some smart people. Hey, hey, the point is this. The point is this. It isn't going to do us much good. And I hope you'll keep talking. Maybe after. The, the point is this. It isn't going to do us much good to explain a passage, to illustrate it, if we can't figure out how to apply it. And I just want to tell you, I think we're going to kind of adopt this. Now, maybe less people here next week. <laughs> because I think you need to hear from each other. You need to talk to one another. And say, so I don't know. I don't know. How would a person do this? There, I, there may be somebody at your table to say, you know what, man, I, I don't know. That's okay. But, but for someone to say, maybe we could try this. Okay? I hope that's going to make that be more meaningful to you. Maybe you can do something this week and say, I'm going to apply this in my life with the disruptive nature of prayer. Yeah, Lazarus going to be in the tomb about seven more weeks. 
I kind of hate that. How do you think he feels? Yeah. You know, I just want to hit this real fast because this is pretty. This is pretty clear. I think the disruption of faith here. It's obvious in this passage, to me at least. It says, "When therefore many of the Jews who saw this believed, and then some didn't. They went away." You know, I think faith in this respect of, of trust. I, I don't think the Bible teaches us that faith is just a shot in the dark. I believe the Bible teaches that faith is based on evidence. I hope you don't, don't believe in Jesus because somebody told you to. But you believe in Him because you've looked at the evidence and said, you know what, I have seen, I have understood. This is not just intellectual suicide. Right? It says they saw and what? They believed. Go back earlier in John... No, I know that'll scare people to death. In another part of John, <coughs> Jesus said, if you don't believe me because of what I'm saying, look at my works and believe me. There's a, there's a, there's a disruptive aspect here that we think faith is just leaping in the dark or just taking something wild and going. It is all, listen, it is the evidence of what Jesus has done. I've told my students before, listen, I'm sort of hemmed in as a Christian. I mean, I, for me at least, I've checked the evidence and I have to go this direction. I'd have to commit intellectual suicide because I say, okay, I, you know, I can't prove, I can't pull Jesus up here in front of you, but the probabilities are from what I can gather. But, but watch this. There are people that see it and believe and some, it appears, didn't. They went to the Pharisees. Isn't that fascinating? You know, faith, I think, for some, we think it's something that just grabs us. And you know, it's a feeling that... Uh. Listen, God has made it in such a way, it seems to me, that you can see and still not believe. You can experience. and still, Let me tell you why. Because I, we might get... No, we won't. Let me just play my hand here. Because this last point is going to be a big one someday. Uh, let me tell you why. Because belief and faith, if you see the evidence, you may believe and you may not. Because there is a disruption here of position. The Pharisees understand it well. If this guy keeps doing this, they're going to come take our what? Place. And our nation. Let me tell you, Jesus can be pretty disruptive. In fact, they got it. There are people who will see and know and not believe. There will be people who will see and believe. Jesus told us this earlier in the parable, the sower, that the seed, same seed, same sower, went to different kinds of ground. And I tell my students, and I mean this, and I've told you guys this, if they get anything out of my teaching, they're telling me more about them than they are me. Hey man, it was the same sower, it was the same seed. What made the difference? The ground. The preacher, the teacher doesn't make any difference. It's the ground. So that ground is so strong that ground is so strong, it can determine what happens to the seed. C.S. Lewis said it like this, God is so great, 
He can make a creature that can resist Him. That's how great God is. Think how great God He can make somebody that is, is greater than Him in this sense, that He can resist Him. That's a little disturbing, isn't it? That's a little disruptive. I think we have this kind of magic idea that if people just understood... You know, as a teacher, I try to work hard to help you understand, to, to explain, to use an illustration, to illustrate it, to, to get it. But listen, I know there's somebody inside of you that has the executive authority to say, nope, I'm not going that route. I'm not going that way. You can make that choice. Faith isn't automatic. It, God isn't going to run us over. And these people, at least in my, in, in my thinking, illustrate it. Many saw and believed, trusted. Others went and told the Pharisees what he had done. Doesn't appear to be faith here, or belief. I've wondered about that. You know, when I was a kid, go to, you go to youth camps or you go to youth conventions or you go to a big church service and, and you, know, um, you know, God is just, my dad would say, blessing your socks off. I've never, never actually seen that, but uh, he told me that happened. It's weird. <clears throat> Uh, and and somebody else right beside you, again, my dad's phrase, is cold as a dead fish. That's the authority we have. That's the kind of power we have. I'll just tell you, and I'll, I'll shut up and be gone. When I, you know, I always think about uh, different uh, uh Careers, like you know, one of the occupational hazards of accountants is lying with numbers, <laughs> right? One of the occupational hazards of crop dusters is to think you can fly anywhere and get killed in a plane crash. One of the occupational hazards of a preacher, teacher, theologian is to think that because you understand it, you've mastered it. And so it, it is a real occupational hazard. Because I understand it, I can explain it, got it. Next. When I go to church services, when I go to chapel at our university, and sometimes it's a challenge. You know, I, I don't like the music, I don't like the speaker, and I'm the one speaking. <laughs> I can't even stand that guy. It happens. Uh and and I I don't like the I don't like the music. I, some of these songs are you know seventy seven times the same time over. Call them seven eleven. Same seven words eleven times. Okay, I got it. <laughs> I got it. You know. But I learned a long time ago that I'm not only praying that the Holy Spirit will work through the speaker, but that the Holy Spirit will open my heart. So when I go to chapel. I go down and sit closer to the front, and then I just say, okay, God, I, I, you know, I know a lot of stuff, but I'm opening my heart to you. Because I have that kind of power. You do too. You can see something. It can be clear as the resurrection of a dead man. You walk off. Forget about it. Because faith isn't automatic. It becomes a matter of choice. I wonder, you know, we're not going to do this now because we don't have time. See, some believe because they saw. Maybe, maybe you're a person that you've 
thought that faith is always baseless. You know, there's no evidence. Don't, don't, hey, accept the notion that your faith needs to be founded in reality and what Jesus said and what He did. And if you're interested in that, I can get you some resources because it, it, it has a lot to do with the resurrection, has a lot to do with what Jesus said. All these, Maybe you need to say, you know, maybe my faith needs a little booster shot to say, I need to get a little more in the area of believing because there's evidence. Okay? Maybe. I, I'm always concerned for people that their faith is just a feeling or a kind of a thing that comes at them. And so at times they believe and other times they don't. They, they need some supporting evidence or material. They need, some, they, they, they need to maybe give themselves to some of that. Or maybe you're like, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're like the person that you think that belief is just going to hit you. And maybe you need to open your heart. Bill Bright, a lot of us know at the Campus Crusade for Christ, a guy got after him one time and said, I don't believe this stuff about Jesus. I don't believe this stuff about him. And Bill said, okay, you, you can make that choice. But he said, you know, if you would, maybe why don't you just open your heart and your life and just ask Jesus to make himself known. Now, you don't decide how that happens. You don't get to decide how that occurs. But just open your life. Quit fighting him. Quit fighting. And just open your heart. You might, you might be surprised. Maybe there's some of us that say, you know what, I've sort of kind of guarded, guarded my heart. I've sort of kind of not allowed that, and I wonder why I don't believe or like that. Well, because you have the ability to choose. You have the, you have the ability to say, I will or won't. I mean, it's pretty weird, isn't it? You can see a guy that's dead, raised from the dead, and I'm not believing that. Maybe, maybe we ought to just say, maybe, maybe my heart needs to be more open to what God is doing. Now, that's, that's one way. But you know, there may be a lot of other ways. You might just say, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit of God right now would just say to you, hey, you know what, here's how you could do that. You could try that this week. You could, you could decide to start maybe some study or evidence or reading. Or maybe you could, maybe you could begin this week by saying, you know what, I'm just going to open my heart a little more. I'm gonna, maybe, maybe you've been guarded because you've been hurt. Maybe because people have tried to make you think that Faith is a certain feeling. It's not. It's a presence. And I've gone periods of time where I didn't feel close to God. But to just open my life to Him. Quietly. No fanfare, no big deal. Just saying, Lord, I know you're here. And you can fill me with faith in you. Talk to somebody. Discuss this with somebody. Call a pastor. Call me. Call, you know, people at your table. There's some smart people there. Did you notice that? Now, there's a couple of tables where it's a little iffy. But I'm going to have to get another captain over in those other ones. I know where you are. But faith can be disruptive. I, I really do. I'm going to wait. I, I really want to come back and get this next time. <laughs> Because the disruptive nature of Jesus to take the position in our life, uh, it's not a grievous thing. It's a joyful thing. Jesus talked about this on several occasions. And 
I think it'll mean something to you. Let's pray. Lord, we want to uh, not only know, but experience and apply and live out even these disruptive matters of prayer and faith. And there's a lot of issues that we uh, face in life uh, with these two. So would you guide us and give us the courage uh, to think through how we can apply this this week, our friends around our tables. Maybe we could just pray for each other this week that we could find ways. Help us. Guide us. We, we thank you for your presence that at appropriate and important times gets a little disruptive. It, it, it causes that part of our brain to sort of sit up and take note. Help us today. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.